All right, everybody, welcome back to another live stream. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. Today is November 8th, 2022, Election Day in the United States. I am not a voter. I think if you vote, you can't complain. I just heard the opposite of that on somebody else's live stream. They said, um, uh, if you don't vote, you can't complain. But, you know, voting, you you accept the system. You accept the fortification that happens. You ex- uh, accept all of their rules and their processes and, and whatever they want to pass and, you know, take taxes from you or whatever. You accept that by taking part in their system. If you don't accept it and you want to be able to complain, then you don't vote. Then So that is what I do. I am thinking about possibly voting in local elections, however, but being in the state of Florida that is turning more and more uh, conservative, more and more of hopefully low, <laughs> smaller government and lower taxes, I will have to vote. Uh, I feel less compelled to vote anyway, but I'm thinking about uh, voting in local elections here, possibly my well, I don't even li- live inside any city limits. I live inside of the county. So maybe I could vote for some county elections or something like that. But anyway, um, elections are going on today in the United States, the midterms. And it looks like there's going to be a huge red wave. And this is something I talked about yesterday uh, more in depth. I'm just going to touch on this quickly is the outcomes of of what I think the elections are going to be. So. Um, the elections, I think, are uh, going to be they're, – they're a referendum on the globalist policies. And what I mean by globalist policies are kind of the, the um, WEF Marxists that control a lot of the Western governments. The, uh, I guess, calling card of the WEF is talking about management and environment and international bodies, you know, ceding sovereignty to international bodies instead of your national governments. So that's kind of uh, what we, what I am fighting against. Um, And it looks like they're going to be losing power big time in this election because this is a referendum on those globalist policies. So far today, what we've seen is in Maricopa County, which is the largest county in Arizona, where Carrie Lake is running for governor and Blake Masters for Senate. Um, a lot of the voting machines, the headline I read was up to 20% of the voting machines in Maricopa County are offline. And the initial reports were coming from very heavy conservative areas of Maricopa County. So uh, that is uh, the same old fortification tricks that they're up to. Also, Pennsylvania at the the 11th hour, right, at 7 a.m. this morning, they changed the rules on how they're going to count the ballots. And they said, you know, they're going to uh, do an automatic, uh, like, verification count of uh, all the mail-in ballots. So you will be able to see if there was duplication of any votes from people. And But that process takes up to a week you know, so they're going to be counting votes in Pennsylvania, plenty of time to slip an extra box of ballots in. So we'll see. But in many of these places, the the red wave is too big and they I, I don't think they'll be able to prevent any sort of majority in the House or the Senate. So the Congress is going to 
be or the government's going to be split between Congress and the president. And hopefully they can cause some problems. You know, we like Elon Musk tweeted out the other day, you want to have split power because then nothing gets done. And that's good. They can't um, pass any new rules and regulations and laws and taxes and all that stuff because nothing nothing can get done in a split government. So uh, that's a, actually a very good thing. And then hopefully we can get some, um, you know, rollback of, of some of the bad policies. Hopefully they can take the handcuffs off of U.S. energy production. That, that's I tweeted out this morning. I said, hey, I have an easy fix, three-step easy fix to fix this CPI problem. And it is uh, to roll back uh, all the sanctions on Russia and Iran and all these other places. Um, crap. <laughs> I forgot what my three is. Here they are. To negotiate in Ukraine. There we go. To eliminate all sanctions and trade wars and to eliminate the ESG madness. And that will fix the CPI problems. Because remember, this is not a money printing problem. This is a... Oh, we got uh, some... I'm going to mute you too. All right. He must have absolutely accidentally hit a button. Um, so, yeah, the this is not a money printing problem. There was another tweet out this morning that was talking about. Um, let me find it here real quick. So the Fed loan officer survey just released banks are tightening credit criteria. And they're raising the cost of business loans. They're pulling in credit. Credit is becoming tight. And what happens? Remember the interest rate fallacy, guys. The interest rate fallacy is rates go down because money is tight. So if banks are tightening credit criteria, what does that mean for rates? Rates are going to come down and they're going to come down hard. Also, I mentioned that uh, bad housing numbers in the United States, you know, mortgages are where a lot of money is printed. And if there's not as many mortgages, there's not going to be as much money printed. So, uh, you know, we're going to slam the brakes on money creation and credit creation. And so CPI will come down. But uh, this is not a money printing problem. This is a problem of sanctions and supply chains. So negotiate with Ukraine, eliminate sanctions on tra and trade wars, and eliminate ESG madness. You don't even have to mention the Federal Reserve. You don't even have to mention money printing. If you do those those three things, CPI will come down dramatically. But of course, everybody parrots the party line that what we have is inflation. And what is inflation? It's money printing. We have, they call this inflation. So that puts in everyone's mind that this is a banking problem. This is a money problem. It's not a government policy problem, right? which it is. And so by parroting this party line, calling CPI inflation, calling these price rises inflation, they're covering for the actual evildoers. They feel like, I know that gold bugs and alternative macro people and Bitcoiners, by calling this inflation and, and blaming the Federal Reserve, they think they're getting the point across, you know, that there's been too much money printing and all this. But in reality, they're letting the bad guys off the hook. 
The war is doing this. The sanctions are doing this. The ESG from the Marxist Davos globalists, that's what's doing this. Not any sort of money printing. In a credit-based system, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into this, but in a credit-based system, inflation equals growth. Inflation equals growth. It's not good. I mean, we're to the end of the system. You know, they cannot expand anymore. It's like pushing on a string. You can't get any more growth out of it. And so you just add debt burden and it eventually is going to collapse. I mean, they're they're really um, keeping the fire going using gasoline. This just embers in the economy and they're trying to keep the fire going by pouring on gasoline. You're going to get an instant kick from that but it's eventually just you know it could blow up in your face so anyway anyway what else do we have to talk about today let's go through some charts i posted these on telegram so if you're listening on rumble or on the podcast feed uh, make sure you subscribe and uh the post for this one is going to be bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash e258 i believe 258 and that will be with uh, all of these charts and all the links I'll, i'll put that in a post for this so you guys can see that but I do post these on Telegram, and let's go through some of these charts. So, of course, the Bitcoin price. Um, We had, well, to talk about the Bitcoin price, we have to talk about what happened over the last 24 hours. And uh, FTX looks like they were insolvent. This, I, I can't, I just can't believe it almost. Because, you know, they had their names on arenas. They were huge. I mean, I guess crypto.com did too. And what, what happened to crypto.com? Uh, but FTX was this huge behemoth. They were bailing out people during, you know, over the last six months when we had the cra- big crash. And now they're insolvent. It, it turned out that they were running this Ponzi scheme with their token. Like we all knew, all Bitcoin maximalists knew that these tokens were just a bunch of crap. But they're running a pyramid scheme based on their token. And it looks like they're blowing up. So people started having a bank run or an exchange run, a run on the exchange to get their Bitcoin off, uh, get all their tokens off, whatever. Then there was this, they stopped withdrawals. That happened early this morning. Uh, the block crypto reported that looks like, hey, withdrawals have been ceased. And sure enough, they, or paused or whatever, stopped. And they, sure enough, they were. And then just about, what, 40 minutes ago, it came out that CZ from Binance is going to buy FTX, probably for pennies on the dollar. We'll see what kind of reserves they actually had. I, I can't, I don't understand why these people do this, why they run so fast and loose. I mean, honestly, all they have to do is run a, full reserve business, and they will make billions in this space. Why do they feel the need to leverage up? Like, hundred? You know, what's the average gains in Bitcoin every year? If you go back, say, to 2010 or 2011, something like the average gains for Bitcoin is 100% a year. You're not happy with 100% a year. You have to leverage up to get 1,000x. Unless they're just completely and utterly scammers stealing money, which is possible. A lot of altcoins are that way, obviously. 
but I wouldn't think that the big name exchanges were that just pure scammer, but apparently they are. So anyway, as this whole stuff was working out overnight, Bitcoin was starting to drop, drop through 20,000 down to 19,300 or so, I think. And then um, when the rescue from CZ and Binance was announced, it really recovered almost all of its daily losses. Uh, it almost turned green back over 20,000. Right now it's sitting at 19,750 or so. So we'll see where this daily candle ends up, but no real damage has been done to the chart yet. No real damage has been done to Bitcoin itself, obviously. Uh, this is just one more thing that needed to get flushed out of the system, apparently, before we can go up. I mean, there's lots of this stuff happening, too. Look at the miners. So Core Scientific and Argos and um, just all of the public miners, they're having big, big problems right now. And it looks like a lot of them are going to be acquired. Most likely there's going to be some bankruptcies and some acquisitions going on on the minor side of the house. And so there, there's just, there's some turnover that needs to happen right now, apparently, in Bitcoin before we can really go north. But once we get a firm base with a lot of this flushed out of the system, I mean, it's, I'm starting to see a, a new world here in Bitcoin, a new narrative building, right? We have these tokens now on lightning. Oh, let me make sure Twitter space is still going. My phone fell asleep and I want to make sure I'm still up. Okay. Um, so I kind of see this new world emerging where the altcoins have been totally flushed out, not totally flushed out, you know, but really set back a lot. These the worst offending scammers have been liquidated. We also got a ruling from the SEC over this library token where they said, hey, even though there was a pre-mine and you didn't ever say anything about expecting gains from this token, it's still a security and you're still guilty. And it's the exact same rules can be applied. Even if even if Vitalik didn't make the public comments that he made, which he did say to expect returns, high returns from this, right? So Ethereum is the stereotypical unregistered security. But um, I mean, this can be applied to everything in the altcoin space. So we're starting to see a real, real flush out of the altcoins, a, you know, pushing back against all these scammers from all aspects, from getting them liquidated to the, the government attack surface, which exists. And that's what Bitcoiners have been saying, that this is, there is an attack surface for the SEC and for the government. But you guys ignored that, thinking that because they aren't coming after Bitcoin, they're not going to come after you. But there is no one to come after in Bitcoin. That's the exact point. But anyway, this new world that's emerging, now think about Bitcoin. and tokens on liquid tokens on lightning network lightning network is starting to figure out a few bugs there have been a few bugs recently so they're you know getting this robust and all the the kinks worked out and we're ready to start a new world that's really centered on bitcoin bitcoin is going to be the only game in town and imagine when we have an influx of large pools of capital 
that are diversifying into Bitcoin or diversifying into this new space. And all of that trash has been taken out. It's really going to be concentrated on Bitcoin. So that's this new world I'm seeing kind of emerge. It kind of sucks to live through it, you know, when you see, oh, we're breaking out in price, 21,000. Oh, FTX blows up. We're back to 19,000. You know, how many more weeks do we have to go through this sideways action? Point BTC here on the Telegram. Um, you know, we kind of had a back and forth the other day about these puts and calls. Um, because in the traditional markets, in the stock market, you have a record premium on puts. So that's negative. Um, that means everyone's going short. Uh, but you also have a record premium on calls that outweighs the record premium on puts. So it's like these people are making these straddle trades. They're betting on volatility. And I think that's a good, I mean, that's a logical bet at this point. I mean, what has the people have been saying the Fed is going to tighten until something breaks, something's going to break, something's going to break. And I've been saying that too, but uh, people are expecting volatility. So what's the perfect trade? A straddle trade right over the price. So you see a record number of puts, a record number of calls. And what could we get? I mean, what is the, the path of most pain? Sideways, sideways for another six months. Oh my God, would that be painful, guys? If we get a big sell-off, we'll get a big bounce and then we'll flush the system and keep going. If we go up, you know, there will be a, it's not quite ready to go up, Bitcoin and even stocks, who knows? So sideways for six months. Oh man, that would drain those people. That would drain all those traders. They would have to get off of their straddle trades, you know? That would be the path of most pain. Makes sense to me. And that kind of fits into my thesis that the market, at least the U.S. market, is going back to low growth, low inflation, sideways. This depression grind of 0% or maybe slightly positive growth in the economy. That's painful. That's a depression, guys. 15 years, well, how many years? 14 years of 1% growth. Oh, man. Doesn't keep up with, uh, you know, population rises. And there's no way to get ahead. You start getting financialization. If you didn't have a little bonus from financialization, you would be negative growth. But you get that little boost off of, carry trades and all these um, financialized products, credit default swaps and buying and selling and rehypothecating and all of this financialization gives you that little positive growth that you kind of need, but uh, it, it isn't real growth, right? So if you just measured real productivity gains, we would be flat or negative. That's what a depression is. So anyway, uh, six months of sideways action would fit right into that kind of thesis. Maybe we go six years of sideways action. I, I don't think so, but we'll see. Okay. So that was the FTX stuff. What else did I talk about? Let's go into the charts. Um, some of the macro charts I wanted to cover. I like looking at currencies. So if you guys are new to the stream, if you're on Twitter spaces, or you're just recently a new member over on telegram, um, 
That's t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets, by the way, if you want to join the Telegram. But uh, I like looking at currencies because for the same reason I like looking at moving averages and like real simple technical analysis and maybe horizontal levels on the chart because these are basics and everybody uses the basics. Even the even the proprietary, super complicated indicators that people buy for trading view and stuff. These are all based, they're based off of the simple basics. And so that's what I like looking at. Currencies to me are that way. They are the basics, the dollar, the DXY, the broad trade weighted dollar. That is the basic like bedrock of things to look at. So anyway, let's uh, get into the charts here. Um, We'll see. Let's start with the Japanese yen. It is strengthening. It hit a not a record high, but a multi-decade high at 151, maybe even 152. And now it is, uh, well, sorry, record low. That's 152 yen per dollar. But on a chart, you know, it goes up. And now it's strengthening down to 145 yen per dollar. So not a huge move, but hey, that's 2% or so, right, in in currency moves. That's that's pretty big over a week or two. So the yen looks to be strengthening. And that's also, remember, a lot of people are t- starting to talk about Japan as a, a reason why treasuries are selling off. Because they're selling treasuries to strengthen the yen and to strengthen their own uh, their own government bonds, but look if if the yen is strengthening here, that means some of this acute pressure is being relieved. They're actually it's working a little bit. So that to me would say, hey, some of the incentive to sell U.S. treasuries has been relieved as well, and then they can they can drop in yield or rise in price. Okay, the next one is the euro back over parity. When I snapped this chart in uh, for Telegram, it was almost at $1 and a penny, almost at 101. But big green candle today over parity kind of came down over the last couple days or yeah, last couple days touched parity again and looks to be rocketing higher. So we'll see where that goes. This does, of course, fit in with my idea one second. My wife just got home, so I had to tell her I was streaming. But anyway, um, so the dollar is going to go into this range, I believe. And you can look up the next the next chart here on Telegram is the dollar with this range band that I just kind of put out there as a prediction of where we could see the dollar bounce around. And then the pink line is, if you go back to 2015, because I think we're going to see close to a replay of what happened in 2014 into 2015 when the dollar surged from a lower range below about 90 and then it surged up to 103 and it entered a newer range between 100 and 90 and it stayed in that zone for you know a good five years and I think we're going towards a similar thing here. At least for the next couple of years, I think the dollar will be range bound and we're at the upper half of that range. 
So as the dollar comes down, the euro and the yen will go up. Okay, what else? The three-month 10-year is once again inverted. I talked about this just yesterday and also, well, on the newsletter. And it was um, uninverted, and now it's reinverted. So we'll see how this plays out, but just thought that was interesting. And the last chart I have here is just all the yields of the U.S. Treasuries. And I'm waiting to see if throughout the rest of this month, if the 10-year and the five-year start coming down for all the reasons that I just talked about. And when it comes down into the Fed funds range, you know, that is going to be a day that we can be pretty certain we know what the Fed is going to do at the next meeting. And that is a pause. That's what I think is coming. All right. So those are all the charts. Remember, guys, if you're listening on Twitter Spaces, I do open up the mic at the end to guys on Telegram. So if you want to join Telegram, t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. I think it's also best audio over there as well. Uh, but I do put this out onto podcast apps and onto Rumble. So if you guys miss a live stream, I do these every weekday now. Uh, if you miss a live stream, you can just go onto the podcast feed. Just search for Bitcoin and Markets and you'll find it. Um, I'm on Rumble now because Twi uh, YouTube terminated my channel, but uh, we're trying to work that out. So anyway, okay, let's get into some of this China stuff I wanted to talk about. I did post this um, story in Telegram. It's an archive link from a Financial Times piece, and I'm just going to read through some of this. So the headline is Chinese exports fall for first time since 2020. Drop in trade highlights economy's exposure to global slowdowns or slowdown and effects of zero COVID. Now they keep going on this zero COVID. Remember just Friday, there was rumors that the zero COVID was going to be over. And it was like the biggest one day rally ever in the Chinese Yuan and a huge rally in all the stock markets, the Shanghai and the Hong Kong stock market. So that, that was just Friday. And then over the weekend, there were some leaks like, oh, no, that we're not going to, you know, we're, we're just talking about ending zero COVID. We're not actually going to end it anytime soon. And we even saw some new numbers out. So a lot of the provinces um, are reporting double the daily COVID numbers that they were last week. So I don't think that we're anywhere close to ending zero COVID. And if we were, the communists would just come up with another thing that's equally as, as destructive. They do not care about the economy. They really don't. They don't, they don't uh, respect the economy. They'd rather have direct control over this stuff. And so before I get into reading some more, there was this tweet from uh, CN Wire. If you guys are on Twitter, it's Sino underscore market. It's a great account. You guys should follow it. it it's new, I think, and needs to get more publicity because they, they do great, great work. But this tweet is China's systemically important banks will increase their lending to manufacturing and infrastructure sectors in Q4 to further boost economy. And I saw another uh, tweet out saying that they're going to be requiring more lending from their banks. 
I mean, this is pure centralized control. This is pure Politburo going in and trying to direct the economy. Remember, communism cannot do economic calculation. That's the one big thing that Mises taught us. <laughs> I mean, he taught us a lot of stuff, but that was, you know, his first claim to fame was the calculation problem in communism. They don't know how much to make. They don't know how much to produce. That's why communist economies can't be number one. They can't be. They always have to look at the outside to know what to produce. The Soviets did it. You know, they looked at what the the free Western economies, what kind of percentage were they um, producing of X good and Y good? How many commodities were they producing? How much food were they growing? What kind of investments? What was the ratio of investments? And that's the way that they used to run their economy. They looked from the outside because they have no way to do economic calculation inside of communism. So now let's talk about China. They are forcing their banks to lend into the manufacturing and infrastructure sectors. It's not, they're not brilliant, okay? They're communists. They don't know what they're doing. It's going to make it worse. This also made me think of um, Russell Napier. Uh, I talked about him a couple of weeks ago and his idea that we're going from the central bank era back to a government-directed era of money printing. So his thing recently has been that European governments have said, hey, we are going to guarantee these loans. So we want you banks to go out and lend. Because remember, money is printed in the bank lending, not in government spending or in um, QE, central bank stuff. Money is printed in the process of making loan. And these, these European governments know this. And they're like, hey, we're going to guarantee these loans. So go out and lend. We need that. We need the, stimul the stimulus. But that's like, <laughs> it's ignoring the market signals. Like I just talked about, their credit is getting tighter. Because that's the way the market needs to work. It's not, a, it's not like somebody's... Um, evil plan to tighten monetary conditions. That's the, that is what the market is naturally doing to fix itself or not fix itself, but it's doing, that's what the market is doing. And if you go, go in and you do intervention in that intervention begets intervention. And you go down this road of causing blowback, unintended consequences and your economy gets worse and worse and worse. So China is not brilliant. They're actually getting themselves into a worse worse hole. And with this zero COVID stuff, if they got rid of zero COVID, they would just bring in some equally destructive policy, communist policy. I don't know why people would ever put money on China, you know, growing their way out of this. It's over, guys. China is over. But okay, let me get into this. Article, Financial Times, China's exports contracted in October for the first time since the early stages of the COVID-19 pandemic, a sign of mounting pressures on an economy still gripped by strict antivirus measures. Exports in dollars, uh, sorry, exports in dollar terms fell 0.3% year on year last month. Okay, and that is in dollar terms. 
Let's see if they mention anything about volume terms. Um, official data showed on Monday compared with an economist's forecast of 4.5% growth. They, <laughs> they forecasted 4.5% growth and they got a contraction in dollar terms. This isn't even volume terms, guys. And 5.7% gain in September. The last, uh, the figure last fell in May of 2020. China's trade has supported its economy throughout the pandemic. Its exports skyrocketed in 2020 and 2021 as global markets shifted to buying goods rather than services. That's an important distinction. But the latest data highlights the country's exposure to a global slowdown as other big economies raise interest rates to tackle higher inflation. Unlike China, most countries have largely removed COVID restrictions. Consumer preference, quote, consumer preferences overseas have changed and the decline in goods consumption undermines the demand for Chinese exports, end quote, said Han Su, chief economist at Something International and Investment Bank. As policy tightens, quote, the risk of economic recession overseas will rise, considerably weighing on global demand, end quote, he said. The weaker than expected trade data adds to domestic pressures on China's economy as public policymakers struggle to contain a nationwide property slump and the damping impact of its strict zero-COVID policies. The strategy aims uh, to rapidly eliminate all coronavirus outbreaks through mass testing, lockdowns, and quarantine for close contacts of positive cases. In the three months to end, uh, sorry, in the three months to the end of September, China's economy grew just 3.9% year on year below a 0. or sorry 5.5% target that was already the lowest in 3 decades. Lockdowns of big cities to contain small outbreaks have weighed on consumer demand with retail sales adding just 2.5% in September. Equities in Hong Kong and mainland China have gyrated in the past week following rumors that the zero COVID policy would be eased, but Beijing quashed the rumors over the weekend and at the Communist Party's Congress last month, zero COVID was praised and no timeline was offered for any relaxation of the rules. Last month, imports also fell for the first time in more than two years, dropping 0.7% in dollar terms year on year. Oh, God, some name I'm going to mispronounce. Ji Kuan Huang, an economist at Capital Economics, noted that a third of China's imports were in turn used for exports. We anticipate further weakness, he said. China on Friday launched its fifth international import expo in Shanghai, a vast conference that hosts thousands of foreign and domestic companies. President Xi Jinping, in remarks delivered by video link, emphasized that China remained committed to opening up to the outside world. All right. So in dollar terms, their imports and exports are both down. Imports down actually more than their exports. And that's, of course, dollar terms, nominal terms. So in volume terms, if we have inflation, quote unquote inflation, if we have CPI, that is this last year has been about 8% year on year, the volume is crashing. I've reported other numbers here where in 2021, I think it was exports, right? 
2021 exports shrank 6% and they estimated it to shrink 6% by volume in 2022 as well. 6% a year. China also has the middle income trap. They have not become a rich country to support themselves with consumer spending in their domestic economy. They have to export. There just is no consumers. Guys, the the wheels are falling off of China. Every, Every week I read a new report that makes me more bearish. All right. Okay, let's uh, talk about some different news. Coming back to the U.S., we have uh, subtropical storm Nicole might be turning into a hurricane and coming directly at me. I am on the east coast of Florida here. Okay, so this is a report from Zero Hedge. Hurricane warning issued for Florida's east coast. Subtropical storm Nicole is expected to strengthen into a tropical storm Tuesday and could become a hurricane later this week with landfall somewhere between Miami and Cape Canaveral, according to the Palm Beach Post. As of an early Tuesday National Hurricane Center advisory, Nicole was about 385 miles east-northeast of the northwestern Bahamas and 520 miles east of Melbourne Beach, Florida. The storm had maximum sustained winds of 50 miles per hour and was moving west-northwest at 8 miles an hour. So it's moving really slowly, 8 miles an hour. Um, Might be hurricane strength by the time it hits, uh, but it's going to be a weak hurricane. So I'm not too worried about it. I don't live in a flood zone or anything. Uh, Crazy enough, I don't live in a flood zone in Florida. Uh, The the average elevation in Florida is like six feet or something like that. Um, Very low state. There's a construction site that's a couple miles from my house. And, you know, it's a big like business park that they're building. And they piled up a bunch of the dirt. It's probably, I don't know, 40 feet tall or something like that. And I was like, look, it's the tallest point in Florida because it is such a flat state. But we do not ourselves live it in uh, a flood zone. So I'm not too worried about this. Okay, that's it for today, guys. I'm going to open it up, the mic up for any questions, comments, concerns. I also want to solicit ideas for upcoming articles. Um, we do not have FedWatch tomorrow. Uh, so this week is a no FedWatch week. I might put out a solo show on the podcast feed, but not on the actual live stream. Um but I want to replace some of these things. If you know FedWatch has some uh, weeks that I miss, I want to replace those with articles for Bitcoin Magazine. So if you guys have suggestions, I'm always open to that. Either um, say it here on the live stream, or you can write it in Telegram, you know, or DM me on Twitter if you guys have some sort of idea for upcoming articles. That'd be great. Okay, so opening it up for anybody on Telegram. Hey, Reed, what's up, buddy? You got to unmute yourself. Hey, how's it going? Um, so I, I address, do you have any thoughts or ideas? Yeah, um, good question. So relaying to Twitter spaces, Reed asked uh, a red wave. What does that mean for Bitcoin regulation and Bitcoin generally? I think that it's positive. Uh, all, m- most of the people that have been pushing for Bitcoin or supporting Bitcoin in Congress have like, um, what's her name from uh, Loomis from Wyoming and Toomey. I think he's from Pennsylvania. I think he's a Republican as well. And I mean, cinema, she's a Democrat from Arizona, but 
anyway, so I think a lot of the supporters in Congress already are on the Republican side. So more Republicans in there, I think, would help. And people like Janet Yellen and Ben Bernanke and and some of these people in the Treasury and at the Fed that were enemies of Bitcoin, uh, you know, they are Democrats. I think they're they're the globalists that are in power. And so kicking out the globalists, I think, is a net benefit for Bitcoin because the you know the globalists will just see their CBDC. They'll see that they need to control the economy and get this ESG put in and and do X Y Z. That they are going towards. That they have this idea that there's this logical progression to utopia and human perfection, right? Bitcoin doesn't play into that. Only their their management and and their technocratic skill uh, works into that. So they don't like Bitcoin. And if we can get the globalists out of power, I think that's only going to be good for Bitcoin. Um, also, the the conservatives usually are more for lower taxes, you know, less government regulation in general. So that should help Bitcoin as well. So does that answer your question, Reed? Yeah, thanks, man. Yes, sir. All right. Any other questions, comments, concerns? All right. Well, I will be on telegram all day talking about the election results as they come in and that's it guys uh don't forget to go to rumble and subscribe to on rumble and on the podcast apps and give me a rating on itunes and a thumbs up or a a rumble plus or whatever they call it over there on rumble appreciate that helps more people find the show but anyway all right you guys have a good day and i'll talk to you tomorrow